Good morning. And Happy New Year to all. Please remain standing for the reading of today's Old Testament lesson from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judea. It will not be like the covenant that I made with the ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thanks be to God, indeed. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. That's a Jimi Hendrix quote. <laughs> I bet that's the first time you've ever heard a sermon open with a Jimi Hendrix quote, yes? Some of you may be thinking, oh no, here's the millennial. Where's Davis? We did not sign up for this. Well, I hear you. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm Reverend Ani Mysterian Wilson, and I am indeed a millennial, and it is my joy and honor to preach today. We are continuing to pray for Davis, who is off today and has a new beautiful grandchild, and so we are praying for him and his sweet, uh, growing family. And I do want to pay attention to this quote that I began with. Let me say it again. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. So today that's what we'll be discussing is what happens? What happens when we harness the power of love? What happens when we make love actionable? What happens when we take seriously our Christian covenant of love. So we began today, thank you, Michael, for reading for us this scripture coming from Jeremiah. And here we have Jeremiah who is surprised, unwilling at first. He is definitely resistant to being called by God, being called to be a mouthpiece to the masses. He's thinking to himself, can't someone else do this? Don't you have people for this? Must I venture into the wilderness and share messages that may not go over well? Leave the comfort and safety and security of home? But God convinces him and he's commissioned 
to go out and spread holiness across the land. Now, when this prophet looked out upon the land, he did not see holiness. He did not see wholeness or beauty or bounty. He saw the worst of humanity. Hate running rampant. He saw utter devastation. You see, today, scripture takes place in the worst of times during the exile of the Babylonians, the Babylonian exile. So I want you to imagine with me this scene. Will you think with me about this? Once a fortress of protection, each brick marbled gray and black and white, these sacred stones now singed, tough, gritty, the broken edges leaving remnants on the ground. I walk in through the dome-shaped entrance of once stood something large, magnificent, beautiful, and now it is just a pile of rubble. These images of devastation to me bring to mind this current day reality that we are all seeing on television and hearing on the radio. It's not some ancient sorrow, but real current day scenes of war, crisis, destruction, the hardened heart of humanity on display in the Middle East crisis right now. So Jeremiah chapter 31 is speaking of these themes of pain and heartbreak. And the verses that lead up to the verse we read today, to me it sounds like someone who has endured so much hardship, so many distraught days, that that person as they lay their head upon their pillow is lulling them to sleep themselves to sleep with these ideas of a new world, this hope for something different, a dawning of a new day, imagery of freedom, singing, dancing, greenery, bounty, things that could only be seen at that time with eyes closed shut. That could only be seen in their mind's eye. My sense is it's that hope, that image that is pulling them through this hardship all around them. Jeremiah 31, verse 13, God declares, I will turn their mourning to joy. My people shall see my bounty. So it's in this context, in this holding on to hope context, that Jeremiah talks about covenant specifically a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. The days are coming. We as Christians celebrate the coming of that new covenant, the New Testament, the new Christ child during the Christmas season. The new hope swaddled and given. 
Now, in this context, in this Old Testament passage, the Hebrew Bible commentary says this, that the new covenant has been interpreted by Christians as the prophecy of the new covenant through Jesus. But here, it refers to the restoration of Israel after the Babylonian exile and the reconstruction of the temple. Hear this, this is from the commentary. According to this passage, it is not the content of the new covenant which will be different, but how it is to be lived out. How it is to be lived out. That is what Jeremiah is proclaiming. So whether we read this passage in its historical context or whether we read this passage in our theological context as Christians, it's saying the same thing in that how we live out our covenant can change everything. That we might not just know the covenants, the commands, the teachings of God, but that we might be changed by them truly, internally, and that our feet might be moved by them. That somehow our faith might make a difference in the world around us. You know, I love this word beloved. Because if you break it out, it can also say, be love. Beloved, be love. What does it look like for us, God's beloved, to be motivated to go forth and be love out in the world? So Jeremiah, who is disillusioned with the state of things, weary, worn, wanting, he wants to see a faith that is lived out by his people, a new movement of faith and it all hinges on this covenant, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. All right, we're gonna fast forward in history a little bit. 4,000 miles away, 288 years ago, a man named John Wesley was ordained at the age of 22, okay, by the Church of England and was living in Oxford, England, when he was surprised by God's call to him to go out into the wilderness and to proclaim God's word. John Wesley heard this calling and in his own words, quote, it was a calling to spread scriptural holiness across the land. And John Wesley sailed do you remember this, sailed in 1735 1735 with he and his brother Charles Wesley aboard a ship to the British colony of Georgia in America. And it was a three-month, very perilous journey where he journaled every day. And so we have a sense of his anxiety about this trip, this brave new world. And we forget often that John Wesley, our founder of Methodism, was very literally a Western pioneer, a reluctant one at that. He, like Jeremiah, was reluctant and bewildered by this call, but went anyway. He left out in the wilderness, left the safety and security of home, 
And when he looked across the land, what did he see? He did not see holiness and wholeness, but he too saw the worst of humanity at play, the evils of individualism and corruption. John Wesley literally and theologically left behind the Church of England which was controlled by magistrates, and he, John Wesley, preached of a faith that was actionable, that could be lived out by the individual, the ordinary person. He called it holy living. These are John Wesley's words. I continue to dream and pray about a revival of holiness in our day that moves forth in mission and creates community in which each person can be unleashed through the empowerment of the spirit to fulfill God's creational intentions. He took this vision. He took it to a new world, a new place, and it caught fire. (laughs) I love this, Uh, in a mere 100 years, The Methodist movement became the largest Christian denomination in America, with an estimated three million members in America alone. Get this, in 1860, there was the same number of Methodist ministers as U.S. postal employees, and the treasury of the Methodist movement equaled the federal budget at that time. This one idea, this one thought that if we are God's beloved and we go and be love for the world, it caught fire and it grew and there was a Wesleyan revival. And indeed, scriptural holiness spread across the land and transformed the social and the economic ethos of the new America. Of course, John Wesley didn't see all of this transformation in his lifetime but he charted the course. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. And so today, we have a special service. It's a service that was started by John Wesley and the early United Methodists in 1755. It's called the Covenant Renewal Service. And it's this idea that when we center, when we focus on this covenant of which we participate, we bring it back into focus, our purpose, our mission, who we are as Methodists. And so I'm going to put on the screen here the prayer. It's titled The Covenant Prayer. And I'm going to ask us to all say this together. Would you join me with reading the words on the screen? I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious, blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine. 
want to end with this. When I read these words, the thing that really sticks out to me the most is that sense of I am no longer mine, but thine. I don't think I really conceived fully of this notion until I had a child. Indeed, my life is no longer my own. Everything that I think, everything that I do is oriented around the need of my child, her well-being. I'm constantly listening to her spoken and unspoken needs. What if we took our life with God, this covenant with God, that seriously? What if we understood our belonging to God, our responsibility of faith in this same kind of way, that my life is no longer mine, it is thine, that I don't have that kind of luxury. Everything I do now is to think about God, the well-being of God's beloved community. Every intention of mine is about the fullness and growth of this life of God's life. I have seen you do this. I've watched you as a congregation show up again and again in the life of the world with God's love. You have been emblems of what it means to be loved, be love in the world. It's the same sentiment that is paralleled in our verses today, 31, 33, where it says, I will be their God and they will be my people. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. What does it mean to have that kind of belonging? So as we go into this new year, the ask is simple. That we remember who we are. That we are God's beloved. That we are Wesleyan. We are the people of the United Methodist Church. We are the people of the cross and flame and that we are indeed called to go out and be love for the world. I want to end with John Wesley's own words. He said this. I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America, but I'm afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power of love. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both the doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they preach.